is no simple way to introduce this chat. It's appropriate, really, because the person I'm talking to is all about complex systems and patterns and hates the idea of simply tying the bow. So if you ever wondered what you can learn from Game of Thrones, racist pub fights, and what is important to do in the face of cataclysmic change, then you've tuned into the right podcast. Today's Changemaker Chat is with Tyson Youngerporter. Tyson belongs to the Appalachian clan from North Queensland. He has spent a lifetime learning from Aboriginal leaders and elders across the country, and in 2019, wrote the book Sand Talk. Sand Talk brings together what he has learnt about Indigenous ways of thinking and how it provides a different way to see and to be. For the past year, I have worked with Tyson as part of the Learning Change Project, convened by the Anthropocene Transition Community Hub. You can find out more at www.at-hub.org. This chat will rattle your cage. Promise. It rattled mine. But that's the point, isn't it? We only make change when we stir things up. So, let's go. I'm Amanda Tattersall. Welcome to Changemaker Chats, conversations with people changing the world. Changemakers also produces episodes that are feature stories about social change campaigns. Changemakers is supported by the Sydney Policy Lab at the University of Sydney. They break down barriers between researchers, policymakers and community campaigners so we can build change together. Check them out at sydney.edu.au backslash policy lab. Changemakers also runs an organising school where you can sharpen your skills to make change in the world. All the details are on our website where you can also sign up to our email list. It's changemakerspodcast.org. So welcome, Tyson, to the Changemakers podcast. It's spectacular to have you with us today. Good to be here, Amanda. Loving your work. (laughs) <laughs> loving your work. I feel like I've just immersed myself in your written words uh, over the last week or so, and it has been a delight. We're going to get into it. But, you know, what I'm keen for us to start with mm. is for, for you to share, you know, indeed you've been on many podcasts talking about many elements of your work to many different audiences, but this is an audience of people who seek to make social change, who seek to, who see injustice and want to make a difference. And I know that that is something that you deeply care about too, you know, seeing injustice and believing that things should be, can be different. But I wonder what, if you could explain to them your particular perspective and focus on such questions, like what is your distinctive take on the world, but particularly on how the world could or should change? All I can offer is my perspective. And I do think that multiple perspectives together have a better chance in the aggregate of moving towards something, something <laughs> that is uh, less complicated, more complex, you know, um, self-organising, generative, emergent, et cetera, change. But that happens anyway, you know. That's going to happen anyway. We, we lose a lot of sleep right now on, on different things. Um, where my focus is on right now, and I think it's a very, very important thing, is, well, there's a movement that I believe needs to be stopped that could be very, very damaging. 
uh, in the world right now, and that's um, a, a lot of people are looking to have the last season of Game of Thrones like remade uh, because they didn't like the ending. And I think we need to focus on that. I'm going somewhere with this. Just trust me. Okay. Okay. <laughs> all right. All with you, Tyson. They have, a, they have a problem with that. Look, so we all want to break the wheel, right? And, you know, everybody's gone through these endless abusive seasons of Game of Thrones. And what are they coming back for? Like just, just to be hurt again and again and like start to love a character and then just see them hideously murdered and <laughs> all that sort of thing. That's not what we kept watching for. We kept watching because, you know, we all agree that the wheel is evil and must be broken, as do most of the characters in that <laughs> in that show and in the books. But we keep reading because secretly each of us has a brand. Each of us has like a solution that we think is the right one. And so we align with, you know, certain factions in that one and we all want our faction to win. And everybody was annoyed with the final season because nobody's faction won. You know, you finish up with like... Uh, I don't know, this sort of little broken Gamergate dude um, <laughs> inheriting the kingdom with absolutely no sperm count. I tell you, it's very realistic, very realistic about where we are in history. This tiny <laughs> little white dude who's completely sedentary and has no sperm count at all and <laughs> can't pass on. Uh, no one can inherit power from him or anything else. It's very cool. I, I just thought it was the perfect ending and we need to keep that ending in place because where the focus was on was basically, eh, I mean, the wheel's got its own built-in obsolescences. The, the wheel is going to break itself. It's just like, you know, we just have to be custodians and look after each other while it's running down. And most importantly, and this was what I loved about the last season of Game of Thrones, the final episode, it's Bran the Broken's the king. And what's his job? It's to keep the memories and it's to keep the stories and make sure the next generation gets the right, the actual stories, not the propaganda, but the real stories of what happened and what brought us to this coming right back through the ancient times when it was the first people there. And he's brought those stories down from the north, you know, and he's flying around and he's, you know, seeing through the eyes of humans and non-humans all over the place and he's getting an understanding and, uh, and he's passing that on to people through narrative and that's his only job as the sort of steward of the final years of the wheel. You know, and all of us wanted to be Daenerys and charge off and free the slaves and everything, but where does that end up? You know, basically everybody's little solution always ended up in uh, complete autocracy and dictatorship, you know, thought policing and bloody everything else. And I thought that was an incredibly good way to end it. So anyway, we've got to stop these bastards who want to change that and have it remade in their image. It's, uh, it's very important. Excellent. So I love that we begin with a, sort of a sort of a call out to Game of Thrones and its ambiguous mm. complexity and its relational knowledge and its ancient recalling. You know, I, I mean, I guess for having just read Sand Talk, a lot of these principles maybe weren't intentionally in Game of Thrones, yeah. them, but they but they are intentionally in uh, in what you call an, your an indigenous way of knowing and yeah. Well, look, and I, and I do have an origin story that, that sort of led me to that sort of rejection of, you know, the, these predetermined rules for any kind of change making or debate or, you know, anything that you might do. It's kind of like, well, 
So what's your argument? What's your theoretical perspective so that I can just label that for a start? And also, so what's your solution then? What's your solution? Like you have to have a brand that has a prepackaged solution that you can get enough people behind who are going to fight, fight for that solution. And without like having to be responsive to the changing context or, you know, any kind of complexity, it's like, no, you know, <laughs> this has got to happen and this is the solution and we'll fight until people agree with it. And uh, then when they do, they'll implement it and everything will be better. How's that working out for us? <laughs> yeah. Well, Dude, I just got a, oh, I've got, uh, you know, so there's Reconciliation Mob right now and they've teamed up with people from South Africa you know, like white people who worked on the Truth and Reconciliation Commission in South Africa. And they want me to help them out with the reconciliation stuff because that's how we're going to get changed and we're going to change attitudes. Oh, oh, yeah, that's what we have to have, truth and reconciliation, and that will change everything. No, it won't. How's that working out in Johannesburg? <laughs> you know, you've got all this white capital flight out of there. They get greenlit through here. They don't have to stop in a detention centre, you know. Bloody South African millionaire calling himself a refugee just bought the bloody house that I was renting five minutes ago and had to move, you know. <laughs> it's everybody in South Africa is stuffed right now and there's been all the capitals been ripped out of there, but at least they got the truth. Oh, they got the truth and the reconciliation with the promise that nobody would have to pay and everybody would get to keep all their ill-gotten gains and everything would be fine. And they're the only circumstances under which we're allowed to have truth. Mm. So we need our Game of Thrones ending. Right. <laughs> Amanda. <laughs> and, you know, and, and, and the worst thing about that is that that will just probably happen anyway if we do nothing. So we're going to have to get in deep here to find some real motivations for these uh, activists who are listening and they might end up like rocking themselves back and forth in the shower for half a day and then, curling up under the doona crying for a week, you know. Yeah. So we need to, we need to like, give them something to mm, sink their teeth into. Let's do that because I reckon there's a lot that's in your work that's very countercultural to a traditional, to t most traditional change makers and yeah. can be considered. Pessimistic. Yeah. Cynical, self-defeating. Yeah. Um, or, or Dangerous. Yeah. All of these things, right? Yeah. So I, I, um, I actually want us to get, we're going to get into it, right? So right. stay with us, listeners. We're going to get yeah. into these deep questions. But first, right, how did you get into it, right? I think that's an interesting question for us to understand. Like you've got yourself to a different way of thinking about how change works. I don't think you yeah. tell us that story if you can, you know. I mean, I'd love to be able to tell you that I was like meditating on a rock in the middle of the bush and like, uh, you know, two snakes came by and then a cloud flew over the thing and, and then a voice spoke. I'd love to be able to tell you that, but it's not true. It's like most uh, changes coming out of liminal spaces. It's it's off the back of a messy breakup, you know. Yeah, sure. <laughs> and if you think back through your life, most of your radical shifts have happened. It's when you're coming out of some narcissistic, abusive relationship and you finally sort of get out of there. And, and I don't know, usually the pattern will pull you back in and you'll go out to a bar immediately and find another narcissist to, um, you know, enslave yourself to because that's all you know. So, you know, after an endless chain of that, I find myself at a bar and realising that and I'm there with uh, another mate and it's basically just all like the palest white people I've ever seen in this bar we ended up in and, and me and my mate, we're the only like brown people 
<laughs> there. Um, and, you know, that's back in the day before I was a housebound metro freak. So I was, I was quite brown, like brown as a little nut. And, uh, you know, so we sort of stood out a bit and we had a lot of people walking up and asking us if we were Palestinians or uh, <laughs> whatever like that. And no, 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 it's all right. We're not Palestinian. We're not Middle Eastern. We're, 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 we're from here. Uh, you know, and then if anybody pressed with the questions, well, uh, yeah, Aboriginal. And, and then which eventually somebody did. And so you could see that getting around and you could hear, Abbas, Abbas here. And there, you know, lots of people with Southern Cross tattoos and and all that sort of thing. And the bouncers had Southern Cross tattoos. And we noticed that it was like like one bouncer's night off, obviously, and he was their mate. And he decided just to, uh, I mean, you know, so he was being protected by the bouncers while he went around and uh, like sexually assaulted people and, um, you know, um, punched anybody who looked vaguely non-gender conforming and sort of stuff like that. He was just terrorising the whole bar, anybody who looked slightly different. And so he's weeding out the people who weren't, um, you know, run around as if they had massive gonads and Southern Cross tattoos and all that sort of thing, anybody that didn't have a, like a shaved head. And so we're thinking we're probably in the wrong bar. And so I wasn't thinking about my breakup anymore. I was getting a bit scared because I knew this fellow was working his way around to, you know, dust abos. And, um, so he gets there and eventually and um and he just he just started flogging the hell out of my mate, you know. And my first instinct was to jump in. But then I had like one of those moments where it all just went still, you know, and it was like it slows down and like it comes out and I could see the whole thing. And I saw the pattern and I saw what was gonna happen and I saw that my mate was already hurt and he was finishing up because it was just a king hit followed up with a few kicks. And then I saw the bouncers descending and this all happened in the blink of an eye. So as I'm getting up off the stool and they're coming for me and I, I put my hands up and said, no, no, I don't know him. <laughs> I didn't come in here with him. He sat down beside me. I, good on you. You know? And I, so I sat down on the stool and kept having a drink and another drink while the bouncers picked my mate up off the floor and I ignored him. This sounds terrible, I know. And uh, and they dragged him out because I was thinking, what's the best thing I can do now that I know what's going to happen? And I could just see everything so clearly all of a sudden. And so they threw him out on the street, the bouncers, and then old mate there goes back to playing pool. And um, so I waited until the bouncers calmed down and stopped watching me. And then I walked over to the pool table, making out like I was going to put my coin on the on the table. You know how you used to do that back in the early 90s? Ancient times, yeah. <laughs> this is like 91, I think it was. Anyway, a long time ago, feels like. And so I put my coin down on the table and as it went, then I just sort of kept that motion of my hand going and I, and I just I just wiped the floor with this fella. I, I beat the shit out of him in about oh, four seconds. And then the bouncers come onto me. And, you know, a few smacks and all that sort of thing. And, and they're, they're dragging me out the door and, I could, and I could, I'd seen all this happen. And I knew, like, you don't, you don't fight that. So what I did, like, they were propelling me with such vigorous force towards the door that I started, uh, you know, I was held between them, two of them, uh, that I, I just started running towards the door in the same direction that they were uh, dragging, you. Put, dragging me towards. And... So as we reached the door, like they all overbalanced because I was actually going 
I wasn't resisting their momentum. I just went with it. I literally ran with it. And the two of them fell flat on their faces. <laughs> and one of them got quite badly hurt in the fall, which was freaking awesome because I didn't have to do anything. And then the next fellow running behind, he tripped over them. So it was like this beautiful thing. And so, uh, and as the doors swing open and my mate's standing outside trying to staunch the bleeding, he gets to look through and see the satisfying scene of that fellow that hit him um, lying knocked out on the floor and then three bounces in a big pile. And I didn't have to do very much, you know. So, oh, what am I going to do to fight these? Uh, I got to end the, oh, I got to write a letter to the owner of the bar and I'm going to, you know, call the newspapers and tell them about this racist bar. No. Nah we kind of walked off and we were quite happy with that. We were fairly satisfied. And so this uh, meme kept coming through my head, just run with it, just run with it, just run with it, you know. So ever since I've been um, propelling myself in, in the, the motion of those who are seeking to harm me and uh, they usually fall on their face pretty quick. So, you know, if someone's oppressing me like and, and making just ridiculous demands that won't work, like I just enthusiastically comply and and then it, it just all falls flat and <laughs> and then they kind of learn from that, I hope. Anyway, because here's the thing, I could do a thousand things. Everything we need to know, everything we need to know is in so many different films and books. If, 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 if everyone in Australia just watched Warwick Thornton's um, We Don't Need a Map, most people have probably never heard of it, you just watch that. That's everything you need to know about Australia, everything you need to know about what everyone could do to make it better, and bloody blah. But that's not going to happen. Even if everybody watched it and everybody agreed with it and everybody decided to do that, the wheel is still the wheel, and the, the wheel will keep doing its thing until it doesn't anymore. But what you're saying is this counterintuitive like playing against what people expect you to do yeah, and acting the opposite. Like, you know, in, in community organizing, we used to call it the jujitsu, right? Which yeah. Which uses some, someone's That's energy in your favor by, yeah. you know, but like by doing what you describe, yeah. <laughs> you know, incredibly violent and horrible situation in that yeah. pub. But, you know, in, in, in organizing, I guess we're talking about it in terms of politics more broadly, like to be able to, rather than simply, like resistance can be a strategy, mm. right? You know, and it's and yeah, that's made, it. Made famous, you know, by by many great political leaders. You know, I think of the civil rights movement in the US. But there's also something about momentum and moving that is powerful too. If it's uns if it's surprising and moving in different directions that they can't perceive, and yep. then and also not playing into like I, the th interesting thing about your story as brutal as it was and as limited as the choices would have appeared to be, the fact that you could see that they were going to just beat the shit out of you, mm. it's like six, you know, on, on one. And that, that, the, that if you had attacked back that you could yeah. have been arrested as well, oh. that you saw all that and then moved in a different direction. Yeah. Is and that I've just been through like a, an abusive relationship where, you know, every bit of problem in that relationship, uh, come from my expectation that things should have been fair and that it wasn't fair that that this abuse was happening to me. And in every relationship back to my birth before that, it's just all my misery was about me focusing on how unfair it was. Yeah. Decades where, like, there's nothing you can change there. 
(laughs) You know what I mean? You're focusing on how unfair it is and how terrible it is and then thinking, oh, if I can just show them. Yes. I can just change their attitude. But it's not their attitude that's causing it. They're in a different system of being. Mm. And, And that's been imposed on them through stuff that they can't even see and you probably can't see either, you know, but I just got a kind of caught a glimpse of it. I have to warn you, though, like you got to mix it up. There's no cookbook for this stuff. No. If I went back to that same bar and tried that same shit again, I'd nah. finish up in a shallow grave out of Burp and Gary. You know, yep. you, you can't do that same thing twice. Yeah, there's no cookie cutter. Oh, yeah. It's all in their reaction, but therefore it's got to be surprising. Yeah. <laughs> Doing the same thing over and over again is just predictable, boring, and da- dangerous for yeah. yourself. I, I took a lot out of the in Sand Talk you talk about part of the, the job of a sort of, you know, I guess white people interacting with blackfellas is for us to not spend all our time trying to find out exactly what's going on in your culture, but actually take the invitation to understand what's going on in ours and yeah. to strengthen ourselves as part of that relationship. And yeah. when you talk about the unfairness that you're describing mm. in relationships, it makes me think of the, uh, you know, my tradition is community organizing. And we talk a lot about the difference between wishful thinking mm. and pragmatism, like mm. to think pragmatically. And, you know, people hate it when you first say it. Like, I'm sure there are people listening to this podcast going, ah, oh, pragmatism, that's it's an awful word, you know. Yeah. And, and it certainly is abused by certain political leaders at the moment in terrible mm. ways. But mm. I need to think practically about the, the power relations that are existing between us and to not fall into the trap of wishful thinking, yeah. doubting that things aren't fair and that anyone's going to give a shit. Yeah. Like it's, it's hard. Oh, but it's, it's amazing where the answers come from. You know, like... Um, I don't know. I've been talking to people who, like, uh, you know, I'd get cancelled immediately if anyone knew I was even talking to them. Like, like people who are like, uh, like, pretty much their their main thing is trying to like uh, save Western civilization. But it's it's interesting talking to them, and they're all. It's like when you go down, you know, Clarice goes down for Hannibal Lecter. You know, it's like yeah. that. And I'm like, uh, <laughs> there's this one dude. He's got a brain like a planet. Just amazing. And they're all into Marcus Aurelius and Stoicism and, and it's like, uh, you know, so first principles, first principles, Tyson. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> um, read Marcus Aurelius. First principles, what, what is it what is, for each thing, what is it in and of itself? What, <laughs> what does it do, this colony you despise? And I'm like, oh, it's. Um, God. Are you going to eat it, me? It extracts from the land. It, it, it. It it kills it destroys our communities. It kills us all. No, that is incidental. <laughs> it's full on animal. That is incidental. Why does it do this? You know. And then I, I'd love it if it went. If it ended up, I don't know. When I like I, I gammon wrote this out as a thing, and it was like you know, what does it do? It covets. It covets what it sees every day. <laughs> Haven't you felt eyes on you, Tyson? Oh, my the God. white gaze, you know, <laughs> as I'm going through the whole thing. But that wasn't how it happened. Where it ended up was like, uh, and, you know, it, it, it's like I think, oh, man, I, I've wasted a lot of time on anti-colonialism because it's not, I mean, the colonies like, you know, um, um, the rash, you know, when you need to be treating the entire candidal infection and changing your diet, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the the colony is just the rash. It's like there's deeper things. So the colony's coming out of an empire. And the empire, okay, what's that coming out of? You know, so I find myself instead of being uh, post colonial or anti colonial, that I'm more post civ. Like I think it's just, and this is the dangerous idea that kind of ruins everything for everybody. It's, it's just civilization. 
that's awful. Because look, what's the scope of our debate? What are we allowed to talk about? You know, we're allowed to talk about the best ways, like how we think this civilization should be. How can we tweak civilization, capitalism, liberalism? How can we tweak this in order to make it fairer? You know, we want everybody to have a voice. Bring your voice. Yeah, marginal voices come to the centre because liberalism's like that, you know. It 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 it, it just renders everybody power, powerless by embracing everything, you know. <laughs> and But basically we think we have these solutions and we think we're resisting, but all we're doing is doing all the heavy lifting for liberalism, for civilization. You know, and it's and you look back, it doesn't matter if it's a bloody US installed monarchy that stones people for to death for the crime of being raped. You know, it doesn't matter what kind of situation you're in, what kind of setup you've got. It, it's it's the fact of having a civilization that depends on the importation of resources and the extraction of things from land and constant, limitless, eternal growth. If you're in a growth-based economic system in one of these civilizations that sucks everything into the center, I don't care if it's communist or whatever, or whatever your brand is of change-making, it's bullshit and all you're doing is supporting the center. And the centre doesn't care what brand it is. So every time we vote, we're voting for, we're voting for the top ten percent to keep their keep their stuff, basically. And it's kind of like, well, which brand? So like five percent of that ten percent is going to uh, use welfare rhetoric um, to enforce the caste system and keep their power in place and continue this exponential extraction from the rest of us and from our land. You know, and uh, maybe we vote the other way. So the other 5%, instead of using welfare as the rhetoric, they'll be using trickle-down economics and, you know, self-reliance and small government bloody rhetoric, you know, and, and they both have the same result. And they both, like, I don't know, they're all in the same board meetings. They're all in the same dinner parties laughing at everybody. It's like, I don't care. I haven't voted for 10 years because it's just... It's there's it absolutely no point. I'd rather pay the fine, but that's or I'd rather get jailed for non-payment of fines. I'm just it's just it's just like nah, that's just the wheel, and the wheel's going to do its thing. So Tyson, but that doesn't mean that you're not taking a different stance, right? Like that, I, I want our audience to be very clear yeah, yeah. that while you are choosing to not participate in that in mm. the sort of the sort of arc of civilization with its with, whatever it's patterns and colours. Well, the the year I stopped voting was the intervention because I couldn't vote against the intervention. Absolute bilateral support for, you know, uh, sending the military into Aboriginal communities. So it's like, what does my vote mean there? Yeah. Yeah. And as a black fella, I'm not going to vote for somebody who's going to send the military into our communities on some bullshit bit of propaganda this drummed up. It's practically queuing on. Oh, there's children. There's pedophiles there. We've got to send them in. You know, it's it's. <laughs> it was practically pre. Oh, it was exactly the same. And when I look at all of the, I look at PizzaGate and 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 they're all criticising. I'm like, oh, PizzaGate's actually better quality rhetoric and propaganda than than what they put out in the couple of years building up to the intervention. And it actually, you know, they actually try and use some facts in there as well instead of just making it all up. They try and mix in a bit of truth as well. The intervention, they didn't even try and do that. And everyone voted for it. You know, and it's like, oh, I'm not voting. I'm not, I'm not doing that anymore until there's actually a choice that will make a difference where I could vote against 
um, Australia digging their way out of the global financial crisis by exponentially increasing the amount of ore that's extracted from Aboriginal land and completely destroying Aboriginal communities to do it. Um, and, until I can vote against that, because even the Greens aren't against that. They know we're going to have to destroy the Kimberley in the next 10 years to avoid, uh, you know, the worst of the global depression that's coming yeah. right now. That, that That's already fallen, but, but just nobody's acknowledged it yet. You know, uh, uh, we're going to have to destroy the rest of the Kimberley. We're going to have to frack so much oil and gas. We're going to have to frack so much natural gas and, uh, you know, send that up into the atmosphere to fix the methane, sort of increase the half-life by bloody 100% or something, <laughs> you know, which is a worse gas than carbon, by the way, but we only acknowledge carbon because you can trade carbon futures on the frickin' stock exchange, you know. Ah, oh, so I'm going to vote for somebody who's going to have, like, you know, like moral high ground carbon frickin' futures, you know, strategies. I'm sorry, man. You, you're basically, I, I want to be able to keep all my stuff. I want to be able to keep my capital, but feel better about excluding all these people and wrecking everything. Um, and like, I want to do that with feels. Like, I want to have girls in hijabs on a poster on the wall while I'm doing it so I can go, oh, you know, I've campaigned for diversity. Oh, these lives matter too. Oh, these people can get married too. I'm going to fight for that while I kill everything because that's like the last four decades, what, 60% of all the biodiversity gone on the planet. That's four decades, man. So, Tyson, you haven't sat in your ass in response to this though, right? Like some <laughs> hear what you're saying and go, well, fucking hell, there's no point. I'm going to go yeah. back to the bar, right? I'm just going to fucking drown yeah. my sorrows. That's my response, right? It's just too much, too depressing. You actually haven't done that you have tried to be you know the brahm in a way of, of game of thrones like you have spent m most of your life but especially the last decade immersing yourself with ideas of indigenous thinking as oh as you God. say on the book as a way to save the world yeah tell us a little Jeez, bit that might be true i, <laughs> I, I know i'm just I like am breaking the broken but without <laughs> any power whatsoever <laughs> Look, an elder, I mean, uh, I don't know, a group of elders was trying to introduce me to some other elders the other day and they were trying to describe what it is that I do. You know, from a cultural perspective, what is my role, you know? And they were sort of struggling to, like, get it out there. And then one of them says, well, he's a, he's a settler whisperer. <laughs> I, you know what? I read your book and kind of think that that might be a little bit true. I'm a settler and yeah. I like I got all these ideas. Yeah. Not to Uncle so Tom. It's like, you know, like the horse whisperer. And, and you know, arguably it's really wrong to take like a wild animal and, and trap it and bloody. But, um, you know, to whisper that, <laughs> that horse into some sort of acceptance of their, you know, life of slavery and, uh, you know, being trapped and, and you know, eating grains and stuff that it's, it's it's just making a bloated and fart and giving a colic, you know, whispering it into some sort of acceptance of that. Yeah. <laughs> I guess I'm going the other way though. I'm I'm sort of whispering into, yeah, no, there's no like, uh, you know, I mean, you know, so what choices do you have and what can you fight for? It's like, well, bit or no bit, you know, um, is it, let's argue should should it, should it be a halter or should it be a bit? You know, what kind of bridle do we want 
what are we going to fight for? How about stuff the bridle, stuff the lot? How about like there's plains out there, there's there's grassland to get out and run around on, kick down the fence. How about that? Oh, no, 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 no. We're all going to like argue with each other about what kind of saddle is the best and, and we're going to fight for that. You know, I guess I'm, I'm just trying to like expand the horizon a little bit. I, I, I think a lot of people think I'm limiting it, but but I'm not. I'm just basically kicking down the fence a little bit. Mm. And, you're um, kicking down the fence because your people, right, never had the fences, right? I yeah. feel like there's something that, that you can say and speak from that mm. I can't. Well, I mean, I don't speak for my people because the things I'm saying are really, really weird and, <laughs> yeah, and sure. like really weird and nobody thinks like that. I mean, there's a lot of things that, you know, um, a lot of the old people are, are thinking like and they tell me that story to pass on, so I do. But then a lot of the things like I'm saying like Game of Thrones, et cetera, you know, in that translation, yes, in that uh, whispering, you know, doing stuff like that, it's like, uh, yeah, no, that guy's just weird. So, you know, I, I'm not like a representative of any community at all, you know, and it's that, I don't know, I guess it's that liminal space that I sort of fell out of from, you know, serial abuse for decades and then finishing up, uh, you know, in a bar just sort of running with it and going, oh, ah, crazy so kind of works a bit as long as you keep it moving. So so what does this perspective bring to the question of saving the world? Oh, just, I don't know, <sighs> funny is good. I don't know, that's the most ironic title. Uh, I was that, wondering that, about The title of the book, you know, um, you know, how Indigenous thinking could save the world. That, that, yeah, that wasn't my title. But I, I didn't think it was your words. No. I said that to someone else. I said, I don't it think wasn't. it was his words. But it was very clever. You know, it was, it was put together by people who understood the marketplace, you know, who also got a bit lucky with, uh, you know, COVID happening because it was kind of, I don't know, the editing process took out a lot of the kind of, um, you know, more frightening sort of prediction stuff but it left a, a bit of it in there. And one of the early, like, uh, criticisms of the book was, oh, it's a bit pessimistic about the future. I don't I don't think that's going to be, be so anything down on we that. have to worry about in our lifetime. Ah, help, <laughs> help. Um, you know, it was, it was six months, uh, like, before all of a sudden people were like, oh, shit, we need to, somebody, like, I need to buy a book that will tell me, oh, this one says saving the world. Oh, and it's, it's ancient wisdom. Cool. Let's, like, find some ancient wisdom. Um, <laughs> you know, and, like, ah, oh, you know, people really put us on the spot for this ancient wisdom. Like, ask us questions that's not what we're thinking about or might not be what we know. And it's like, oh, and you kind of just, oh. I don't know. Sometimes I see elders just make things up on the spot because <laughs> you have to and because in our culture there's no obligation to um, answer a, a, a rude pushy, interrogating kind of person who's asking you questions. There's no cultural obligation to answer that uh, truthfully, which is how the, the name Yanka Porter came about. It's like, uh, so Yank is uh, is like uh, his legs and then Kor is, you know, uh, Brolga. And so it's kind of like, you know, when missionaries came and said, well, these people don't have surnames, we're going to have to make some up for them. Um <laughs> It's like, what do you mean your name's Carl Whopper and your dad's name's Carl Whopper and your grandfather's name's Carl Whopper and your son's name is Carl Whopper? That's, uh, no, we're going to have to differentiate you all a little bit more than that. Uh, but what you can have in common is a surname and then you will have a Christian name, you know, and so we get that. 
Actually, it was a Scottish accent because it was a Scottish missionary. But anyway, so it's like, uh, oh, so how do you say that? And what do you say? Por? Yanka Porta? Oh, and, and it's just the answer is, yeah, yeah, that's what I said. Yes. Because, <laughs> like, someone's asking you questions and you're just like, yeah, whatever, man. Uh, yeah, uh-huh. yeah, Yanka Porta, that's the name. So, you know, that, that's how uh, that's how things happen. It's just like, you know, whatever, dude. <laughs> It's not my surname. It's just that's your idea. You can have it, whatever you reckon it is. And like half the consultation that you get with Aboriginal communities is like that. They call it uh, gratuitous concurrence and uh, gratuitous compliance, which I discovered and and uh, and 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 brought under the the, the story and and the concept of uh, just run with it. Yes. And that's what makes the bouncers fall on their face and rethink their uh, Southern Cross tattoos, which is like that's a huge industry at the moment, actually, Southern Cross tattoo removal. So. But what you're describing is a, a practice of of survival, you know. Yeah. You know, how do you get through civilization? whether you're in a community and you're having a consultation or you're in a bar and you've got a bunch of racist cops and bouncers and whatever around you? Yeah. How do you survive? Well, that's it. How do you survive in Uganda right now with like a 40, a f- four decades? I, I keep coming back to four decades. So while the biodiversity was uh, being reduced by 60%, yeah, four decades um, of like one dictator who has elections like all the time. Yeah, yeah, Mubarak. <laughs> yeah. Yep. I've, yep. I've and is, uh, is a, a, like a, a, it's a US-backed regime that um, just basically if anyone decides to vote against him, they just go in and they kill their kids. Say, so, um do you want to try that vote again? Excellent. And it's just like that. You just go, yeah, I love this guy is how you go. That's what you do because and then you, you, you know, survive. quietly pass on your stories to the children about what's real and that's that's all you can do. The stories is, is, is all you've got because over deep time, intergenerational memory, it's the stories that will steer things back on course. You can try and radically revolutionise and change that. It's, I mean, it's wrong what he's doing there, and he should be overthrown. But even if you did, the US would have a new fellow who was even worse in there five minutes later to punish you for it because there's a lot of resources there. And right next door, it's, it's right next door to the Congo, which has got like, you know, half the world's bloody rare earth metals in it. And there's so much oil and so much metals and so much resources in Uganda. It's like, I mean, that's basically what's going to run the global civilization uh, until it stops, is that place. So we need to have those children killed. But I tell you, um, at least they intervened when uh, they tried, Uganda tried to make uh, homosexuality illegal. That was like, nah, man, that's that's wrong. You can shoot your children. That's all right. But, um, but you know, we can't be seen. I mean, basically, you know, there's a, a huge movement for gay rights around the world. We can't be seen to be backing like homophobia. So we will, we will cut that billion a year aid uh, until you reverse that. And they did. So you know, activism it's uh, makes heaps of change in the world. It's awesome. Okay, so let me ask this. Right, let's talk about activism. So there's lots uh, of ways in which people, those who make change, you know, white people who make change like me, uh, you know, we, we seek to make change by coming up with a plan and a target and a power analysis and, you know, yeah. understand their interests and build a coalition and raise resources, all those sort of things. What 
does Indigenous thinking or just your thinking, right, like what is the thinking that you document in, in Sand Talk, how does that help bring a new understanding or a different understanding to some of the deep problems that we face? I, I, I think what it is in the end is just a, a truly inclusive way of looking at the world. Like uh, so our story, our lens, our knowledge is very, very welcoming of all the other lenses, you know, and that's it. And we're like the Baha'i of politics or whatever, you know. Um, but, yeah, I mean, you basically, yeah, everybody sits around, you hear all the stories and the, the, the function of debate and thought and, you know, discussion is not to find which one's the right one or which one can win or defeat the others and come out on top. It's about forming an aggregate and, you know, then having like, a, you know, deep intergenerational elder authority kind of shape the narrative path that's chosen, you know, through the aggregate and, um, you know, what is the thing that will come out that will include every point of view, even the outliers, uh, and not, and, and never, ever, ever as a um, compromise. And it's not consensus. It's not compromise. It's something else. It's not even third way, bloody dialectic stuff. You know, dialectic is bulk. Every time you see a dialectic, someone has chosen the continuum. Someone's chosen the limited field, the limited lens. Mm. But from an Indigenous point of view, you have infinite, yeah. infinite capacity for, like, you know, all different stories. And patterns. Lots of, like, a dialectic is always yeah. between two poles, right? And that's where and you see the pattern. And, yeah. and it is just responding to a pattern but, and allowing for emergence because there is a bigger complex system mm. that's smarter than what you can be. Mm. And when you all your brains together, you can see enough of that system to see a pattern and understand how to move with that system uh, to allow the emergences to happen mm. and to keep your community, you know, potentially mobile and responsive enough to survive the cataclysms that inevitably happen. You know, you get a po apocalypse every 10,000 years or so. That, that's that's the way it goes. And, uh, you know, as long as you're mobile, you're seeing the pattern and you have the stories coming through. That's the most important thing. Mm. I mean, we've got stories about uh, megafauna from before the the last apocalypse. I mean, not this one we're in now, but the, the one before that. You know, there's extinct megafauna. Nobody's, you know, I mean, people who, like, try and build up a profile of an animal from fossils. Uh, there's some things they just can't tell. So that how they move, the sounds they make, and what colour they were, and the patterns that were on their skin or fur. Uh, we have those. They're in our stories. You know, that information's there, but I've never yet seen a paleontologist sort of uh, build it off that, you know. It's all there. The only sustainable way to do things is intergenerationally and with good story within oral cultures. And, you know, your YouTube videos aren't going to do that for you. You know, anything you're going to be able to keep in your hard drive. I mean, I thought I was writing things that I'd be able to keep forever on a floppy disk five minutes ago. Hey, how many of your photos, once you shifted to like, di digital photos, how oh. many of them gone forever? Every I five know. minutes is going to drop. And this one's going to drop too. Eventually, bloody, uh, yeah. you know, eventually the, 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 the Congo will run out of rare earth metals. Mm. Luckily, we're starting up a lot of rare earth metals uh, mines and processing plants in Australia now, which is really cool because China doesn't want to do it anymore because they can't continue to take the uh, environmental burden of that because it produces radioactive waste and all that sort of stuff so that we can have our uh, podcasts and all that kind of thing. So we're going to take that on now. 
And, uh, yeah, so that uh, radioactive waste will be stored on Aboriginal land. Uh, Aboriginal communities will be destroyed to make way for the, uh, will continue to be destroyed to make way for the the mines, the rare earth metal mines, et cetera, and the rest. I mean, you know, it, it is absolutely horrendous. But, you know, we fought and we fought and we fought for the truth. And finally, we won that culture war because they recognised that the stolen generations happened and they apologised for the stolen generation. And now everything's great because we have more Aboriginal children being taken away from their families than at any other moment in Australia's history. But at least if we acknowledge that colonisation, that thing that happened in the past, you know, the thing that happened in the past and now we're uh, now it's all good. You know, at least we acknowledge the truth of it, you know, and so on we go. All together, uh, you- reconcile, and and because we've got unity, we've got solidarity together here, and we're reconciling. Things are great. But do you think that, or do you have any sense of hope that, yeah, this had this, I, the, the, this deeper understanding can have influence and impact beyond? Aboriginal communities. Yeah, well, I, I, I really do. I, I'm, I think the most important thing to finish answering a question about an Aboriginal point of view is a, a deep time view of the world, you know. And if you're looking with a deep time view, you can see that all of this right now, I mean, you could throw all of your energy and do a lifetime of work to make the final few minutes of this civilization sort of feel more fair to everybody. I mean, it won't be fair because that doesn't work, but it'll feel more fair. You know, you can tweak some symbols and make things feel better for a bit for some people, Uh, probably mostly the, you know, middle-class settler people in the middle, um, that they'll be the ones who feel better about it. Everybody else is (laughs) going to feel like crap. But, you know, if you can see that that's just, it's in its death throes, this civilization, and if you can see that, and then you can think about, well, what's really important? What do we need to be working towards? What tools do we need to leave for the people who are coming next, who will be on the thousand-year cleanup? What yep. do I need to do to honour their thousand-year sacrifice that's coming? Thoughts? What can I put? Story. Yeah. Brand of freaking broken. Yeah, you need a good story. <laughs> it's good There's story. two kinds of good story. There's cautionary tales. And I tell you, every single one of us have got really good ones for them. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. There's cautionary tales about how we got to here, mm. you know, and they're going to be really important. That's half our dreaming. That's half the rocks in the Australian landscape are cautionary tales. And, you know, they're people who did the wrong thing. And now they're there to tell us what that wrong thing was. And they keep the law for us, you know. So we need to make sure that those stories remain those cautionary tales, but also the amazing tales that tell us how to live. And we need to make more of both of those Mm. uh, that explain this. So our dreaming stories can, I mean, they tell us, they warn us away from the kind of multipolar traps and tragedy of the commons that results in civilization. But we should have new stories now, all of us together that tell us what happens when you let that civilization run its course and spread like a plague throughout the world. And even in your stories throughout this discussion, mm. you know, like in, in the book you talk about Aboriginal knowledge or Indigenous knowledge or the knowledge that you're trying to discuss is about how, right? You talk about it's about how, it's about process, it's about relationships, it's about connection. Mm. Your story is about running with 
again, you know, not not against, but with and using energy, how you use how how you orient yourself to the mm. power of civilization. I mean, they are very powerful how stories that you know, I guess what I'm saying is they don't need to be, they can be modern as well yeah. as ancient, those stories. I kind of <clears throat> think that sometimes white people, well, I don't want to speak for all my people, but, you know, people mm. like me might say that they don't know what to say, right? mm. that they don't have this ancient wisdom. That's why they're seeking yours, right? Mm. But actually we certainly don't have the same wisdom and we don't have the same experience and we don't have the same relationships or any of that. But they, but we can think and mm. reflect and create meaning out of <laughs> yeah bad and, and positive experience. Well, and and your way to live. Your your culture is worthy of respect, you know, like every entity is. So under our way, under our law, you know, all all entities are worthy of respect, you know, especially children. And arguably, Western civilization is, you know, a. a a very small child, which I don't know in Freudian terms is still in the anal phase, you know, and <laughs> see, that's being disrespectful. Which is, uh, <laughs> so with what we mean by respect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But see, we've got to be able to have a laugh together. No, so, I mean, and that's, that's the secret. That's how it's going to work. So we're going to have a real good laugh while we're doing it. Yeah. And it's not going to be a thousand years of paradise. Like everybody sort of tells us in their books and predictions and what do they call them things, prophecies, mm. <laughs> all that. It's going to be a thousand years of cleanup. It's going to be really hard, but we're going to have a good time while we're doing it. We're going to have a good laugh and we're going to make some good stories together. And it's going to be awesome. It'll be deadly. You know, every every child on the planet is born pretty much the same. It's, uh, you know, we only just sort of destroy them through a, a bunch of abusive institutions as they come up. Um, you know, and that's all you are. And anything like that can be sorted out in a generation, which is why I strongly believe the end of the Game of Thrones is perfect mm. because I, I think when I look at that, I go, yeah, that's a generation before the wheel is, you know, finally broken under its own steam. It's a generation where, you know, of, of, of systemic shift, you know, through the power of story and everything else. It's not about changing people's attitudes, you know, because attitudes isn't what causes systemic inequality or systemic, you know, abuses or even just inefficiencies. It's not the bad attitudes that cause that. That's just a symptom of a bad system. Mm. So if your activism, if you look at how much energy in your activism is focused on uh, elevating some people, what do they call it, uh, amplifying them now or uh. platforming them or something like that, if you are amplifying certain groups of people or individuals and you're demonising other people, and individuals or groups of people, that, that's, not, that's not activism. You're not being active. You know, you're basically just moving scraps from the table around on the floor. You know, poor Australia, man. Poor skips, they've been lied to for a long time, you know. Uh, decades, you know, Australia was sort of built up with this pro as being this promise of being a worker's paradise. And, you know, people thought they made all these gains. And it was awesome because we could take the kids down to Nippers on Saturday, you know, and everything was fine. Everything was great. It's this worker's paradise on this, like, just empty land full of resources for us. It's awesome. Ah, oh, we're all Australians and we're going to bloody football practice or whatever. And it was deadly for a minute. Yeah, yeah. I don't need to even finish year 10. I can just go out unskilled, get a job and 
within seven years I'll have enough to buy a house. You know, it's Australia grew on that. And uh, and that's all gone now. That's all gone. Who are we going to blame? We're going to blame somebody, you know? Mm. And everybody's going to fight over, like, oh, what does immigration look like in that context? Well, it's a bit more complicated than anybody's poxy solution calls for, <laughs> pretty much. And it's not just one issue. That one is tied up with a lot of other ones. And as long as everyone's fighting for their little issues and demonstrating their brand and platforming this one and deplatforming that one, it's all just a big poxy wrestling match. Like not even proper wrestling, but like, you know, the World Wrestling Federation, like that that American thing, like Hulk Hogan and shit. That's what like fake. That's what we're doing. Yeah. We're doing fake, fake wrestling. wrestling. Give him the chair. Give him the chair. Yeah. Anyway, so that's where we're at. And it's all kind of funny and pretty exciting, I reckon. Yeah, well, I mean, I guess to to, to round out the discussion, right? Like I'm interested yeah. <clears throat> in your like it's pretty like it's startling for some of our listeners what you're saying mm. i'm sure right mm. like you you're suggesting some of what people do some of what i've done with my life right like i mm. i feel like i i feel it myself is just like re, you know rearranging the deck chairs on the titanic that's how yeah that's yeah. the white person cliche for for, for the, you know that is meaningless right yeah. meaningless activity in the face of apocalypse but you're also providing answers like you're saying mm. what is important in that context stories mm. stories mm. of lessons of what not to do stories of how to to be together right like yeah. relationships sharing knowledge thinking about the big picture not small things like expand the space and the horizons of the things you're thinking about you're saying there's plenty that can be done in this moment it's just not necessarily the busy work of that small little campaign that might not yeah. actually be as yeah. important as as you hoped it would be mm. i guess i'm i'm just wondering you know you've you've you know it is a, a pandemic and two years since you you wrote these ideas down and had them published in Sand Talk. And I know mm. that you're very active in continuing to talk and write and discuss these ideas still. Like, mm. and lots of people come to you asking, you know, asking you to engage yeah. and explore. Are there any emergent, in addition to the things you've just said? Oh, everything. <laughs> I see patterns everywhere. Okay. Just everything. All right. Let me just random. Okay. From our relationship. You know, and our, our well, um, you know, we both understand what what depression mm-hmm. is like. Yep. And you know, we know all the facts and figures. And I guess we look and we think we're doing a big pattern analysis by going, "Oh my God, it's a pandemic." You know, everybody's depressed now. Oh, that's terrible. Oh, what can we do? We need to raise awareness about mental health. No, no. Look at your history. Who are the most effective people in history at getting change done? All freaking depressives. Every single one of them. Or bipolar people, like people. Winston Churchill. Yeah, everybody (laughs) was bipolar or or a depressive. You know, Uh, Abraham Lincoln, like, uh, I don't know, pick your favourite Western legend and have a look, anybody who got anything done. So I think you need to embrace that as a mutation that's been thrown up by as an emergent property that's been thrown up by the system. Stop whinging about it and uh, get your depression on. Depression is an awesome thinking tool. And, and I tell you, bipolar is an even bigger gift. I find, like, uh, my swings are, are like, are, are amazing. So, so my, my, when, I'm in, when I'm in the trough, when I'm in the, like, the suicidal trough, that's, like, when I do my best thinking. And, then, and that's when I observe things better because I don't have any hope. And when you haven't got your hope goggles on, you actually see what's there. And then, anyway, on the upswing, 
That's when you write a book like Sand Talk in two weeks <laughs> and just throw that out in the world and then yeah. go on to the next thing and then you crash again and you have to stop and observe and go, oh, shit. God, I said some things in there. I'm going to have to clean up that mess now. On. Um, and, you, you know, you have a look around. But I, I try, I, I hate it when people, like, pick an idea up. I'm like, that one, that might be a stupid idea. Like, don't quote me on that and call it Indigenous wisdom. It's just a thought. And it's it's a pattern of logic that mm. might be worth, you know, applying around the place or extend the way you're looking at things. And so you just sort of build on that. You know, everyone's looking for the thing. Yeah. But the thing is not the thing. The process. The process is the thing. And the sense that Catch it's the building. conscience of the king. That's another thing. Stop doing that. Stop trying to talk truth to power. The conscience of the king, conscience of the king, yeah, doesn't exist. Power knows the truth. It already knows the freaking truth and doesn't give a shit. Stop trying to talk to truth to power. They're, they're, they're not interested. Uh, yeah, and that's it. Oh, no, it's definitely not it. It's just the start, Tyson. But we will have more conversations, I am sure. We part, yeah, we will. part of the learning change program that I'm going to put notes I know. in the people podcast. Are frustrated with our, people are frustrated with our conversations because we're not coming up with a solution. <laughs> Uh, and we're not coming up with a plan. Won't dare. Follow the plan. Oh, won't dare. Follow the plan. The storm's coming. <laughs> you know, it's, and we're not giving them what they want. And they want that. They want something to believe in for a minute and a date. Mm. <laughs> but yeah, like, but it's going to be better. Nah, yeah. nah bros. That's not what's going on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cool. It's been so wonderful to speak with you and we will keep talking. All right. Hey, thanks, Amanda. Loving your work. Cool. See ya. Bye. Changemakers is hosted by me, Amanda Tattersall. Remember to subscribe to this podcast to catch all our episodes. Changemakers is produced by Xander Samwani. Our audio producer is Jules Walker. To hear more from Tyson and other Learning Change participants like me, sign up to the Learning Change Project convened by the Anthropocene Transition Community Hub at www.at-hub.org. Our series sponsor is the Sydney Policy Lab at the University of Sydney. They break down barriers between researchers, policymakers and community campaigners so we can build change together. Check them out at sydney.edu.au backslash policy lab. Like us on Facebook at Changemakers Podcast and check out changemakerspodcast.org for transcripts and updates on all of our stories. And don't forget to take a look at our organising school if you want to take a deeper dive into the art of change making. <laughs>